Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Rabia and Ellen solve the case ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Hey, Ellen. Hi, Rabia. I'm so excited for folks to hear the rest of this conversation. I know. I can't wait. There's just so much. This is going to spark a lot of discussion, isn't this, from our audience? It really, really will. And I am so excited. So if you have not subscribed to our Patreon, we are giving you tons of bonus episodes. After every episode, we're giving you a couple quick things. We're also giving you our speak pipe episodes where we take your questions, as well as our monthly Zoom hangs for the highest tier that is the star witnesses. And you get some ad-free stuff too. So head on over to patreon.com slash Rabia and Ellen and see if there is a tier that works for you. And we would love to bring you more content. All right, then let's get to part two. Here we go. We play a game called Three Quick Things. We each ask you a question and then we ask all of our guests a very same question. I just want to tell you, I'm terrified of things called Three Quick Things. I've listened to the show. (laughs) I literally tried to prepare for a thing called Three Quick Things. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Every answer to every question that could possibly ask. Yeah, exactly. I just don't think quickly. Rabia, why don't you ask Michael your question? So my question, Michael, is I noticed that you joined Instagram very recently. <laughs> like super, like four posts in recently. I want to know what compelled you to join Instagram. Who forced you? I have a friend. I, I have two friends in my life, both named Laura, and both of them told me that Twitter is evil and useless and yeah. And that young people are reachable only on Instagram and that pretty much did it. Okay. (laughs) Such a boring answer. I, I, (laughs) I like it the same amount that I like all other social media, which is it's a good professional tool. Right, right. I was forced onto Instagram about a year and a half ago, year and a half ago. Oh, you're recent. Yeah. I'm pretty recent and Ellen hates me because I don't do social media very well. And it's just a constant struggle because I'm a a senior citizen. I feel so good when I don't use social media. Oh, yeah. But don't you now that you're on, don't you feel the pressure? Don't you feel the pressure? Like, do you know how to make a do you know how to make a boomerang? No boomerang. Like, oh, see, no, see, Ellen, it's not just me. You elitist asshole. You know, know, just read a book, Ellen. That's all we're saying. (laughs) Read a friggin book, man. Michael, I, I have ADHD, um, so you ableist <laughs> piece of shit. <laughs> Just kidding. Edit the piece of shit part out. I use social media way too much. I could take a break, but I I do love it, and I learn a lot on social media. The things she's I, forced me to do on social media, I can't even tell you, Michael. Green screens, I've had to learn stuff. I unlearned them immediately, yeah. but I, for a little bit, I got to know how to do it, like maybe a week or two, just to satisfy her. It's Honestly, no one told me in doing this podcast, I would have to teach a mid-40s woman how to use the World Wide Web. <laughs> I just learned how to do GIFs on, on text. Michael, do, why don't you get a social media manager? Would you do that? I don't even... Is that a thing? That sounds ideal. It's a, an entire profession. It's a whole profession. Oh, wow. Yeah, I need one of those. I had no idea. I got a hookup for you. Great. I think Katie does it as well. Okay, Michael, my question is this. What's like the worst professional job you have had in the sense that you're like, I don't want anyone to see this. This is a stinker. I know it's a stinker. I needed the paycheck. Nobody is listening. What is the worst project you've ever done? And tell us about it. Okay. And if you say this podcast, I will (laughs) fly. 
<laughs> he didn't need this paycheck, Ellen. I'll tell you that. This is a kind of a mealy mouth answer, but I, the first thing that popped into my head was I I auditioned for a very very small film right after moving to New York to get actor training and become an actor in 2001, and I went in for. I didn't have a script. And so I went in with the audition scene, single scene. And the guy was, it was like three funny jokes and were totally out of context. And I felt like I did a good job. And they called and they said, you got the job. Come to some park in Brooklyn in two weeks. And I had never done. really shady. (laughs) Super shady. And I had never done a film before. And so I didn't know that there would be a fitting and all the other things. And I didn't have representation Anyway, and so I get out of the train and I walk to base camp and it's just like three canopies behind a restaurant. And they say, here, uh, sign this waiver and sit in that folding chair. And and then someone comes by and sort of looks at my face and then walks away. And someone comes by and sort of looks at my shirt and goes, hey, wear that sweatshirt open. Don't have it be zipped up. And I'm like, "Okay." And I don't have a script and I don't have anything. (laughs) And then they're like, get in this van. And I get in this van with like 80 other people. And it drives us to a nearby cemetery and they gather us around this. <laughs> I get out. There's people with walkie talkies. I've never been on a set before. And they gather us around this gravesite, and they say, you're all at a funeral. Act like you're at a funeral. And then the camera gets up on this guy's shoulder. And what I now know to be an actor walks in front of the camera. Anyway, long story less long, they're filming like this montage for this sad part in the movie. And they needed 80 extras. And the way that they got me to be in the background of this shot was to tell me that I got the role I auditioned for and then put me in a van and send me to the set. And uh, I wish I knew the fucking title of this movie because I would like people to never watch it as a result of that. You don't so, even know what it was. No idea. I have no idea. They bamboozled you. They're like, Michael, great work. Thank you so much. Yep. Come to set. We're going to put you in a murder van yeah. and we want you to like shed tears. I honestly thought we were going to go adult movie. I thought they were going to um. be like, take off the shirt. Here's yeah. your scene partner, Chad. You guys, you know. I do have a story kind of along those lines. That- oh, let's hear it. So I I was in an episode. I was a guest star in in the first season of Scandal. And I used to love Scandal. Yeah. And it's a good episode. My buddy Matt Byrne wrote it. But it was the first season. They were doing like seven episodes. Nobody knew what it was. And I auditioned, got the part. Great. So everything about this job was normal. I've showed up, blah, blah, blah. The first scene is me getting woken up by Carrie in bed with a woman or two. This guy that I'm playing is this philanderer who's accused of rape. And he's the son of a politician. So that's sort of the scandal of it all, right? Mm-hmm. So the first scene we're shooting, they're like, you're going to be in bed with this girl. And I, I, at this point, I'd worked a long time and I knew that, you know, sometimes when you're in bed with people, it can be like underwear and a stranger and she's in underwear too. And so they hand me a robe and nothing else in, in my dressing room. And I'm like... <laughs> Um, am I wearing my own boxers? Like, honestly, I ask, am I wearing my own boxers and the thing? And they're like, you can. And I was like, hmm, okay. So I (laughs) keep my t-shirt and my underwear on and I get to set and they're like, here. And I have not met anyone on the show at all. And they hand me what, I don't know how to delicately put it. We call them cock socks. I don't know 
Mm, Ellen, there's another, what's a dance belt? That's something else. A dance belt is different than a cock sock. Okay, so they hand me a cock sock, which Robbie, if you're not familiar, uh, bless your heart, (laughs) is a- It sounds um, very, like it's the, I mean, it's a very descriptive title. I'm sure she could like put two together. Why do I think I need to describe it to you? I'm sorry about that. No, but but I want you to continue, Michael, because this is interesting. (laughs) Go ahead. And then I want to hear about the dance belt. This is a whole new world for me. If you cut a sock off at Mm. the ankle- Mm. And you okay. just had the part where the toe and ball of your foot goes, and mm. then it has a little tie at the oh. opening so that you can put it around your genitalia, yeah. your external yeah. genitalia, and then cinch it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get it. Great visual. I like that you said cock like seven times, but then you said genitalia. <laughs> genitalia. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, this so, is... Like, well, it includes the rest of the genitalia, too. Yeah. Yeah, there's other yeah. parts there, Ellen. Yeah. Anyway, so... It's been I, a minute for Ellen. <laughs> I had never worn one of these before. All of my sex scenes had been simulated sort of from the hips up, and I knew what it was. So anyway, I, I put it on. They didn't and, even tell you this stuff up front, that this is what you're going to be doing? No, Just, they... Wow. No, they... They were very kind, but I think it was, uh, hey, let's get this, let's get this going. We got to shoot this. And also on that show, you know, in that episode, I'm the 17th least important person on it, you know, like (laughs) Carrie's there and -and so-and-so's there. And so anyway, long story less long, I get in the bed with a stranger. We act like we're sleeping. I've got this sock on that I have self-applied and no one has sort of, and I haven't met any of the crew. I haven't shot any of my scenes. This is my first... (laughs) Wow. 10 minutes on this job and she they <laughs> they they go okay in the first shot you're sleeping in the foreground we're on carrie she walks up to the bed and rips the sheet off of you and says hey travis wake up and i go okay all right so then the director says turn your body in this way so that when she rips the sheet off of you we can see more of you in the foreground and in hindsight what was going to be shown of me was my entire, the entire back of my naked body. Yeah, they did. They did butts. They did not butt stuff, but they did butt things on Scandal yeah. Like yeah. on on ABC. So I haven't watched this show because I don't want to see what of my body was end up being you used. But I was naked. Scene? I've never seen the. Sh- I've never seen the, my episode of this show because oh, I don't want to oh. see what they used. Right. But I. <laughs> well, We'll put it on our socials, Michael, so that. (laughs) Guess what's going on Instagram, Michael? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, she rips it off in the first take. And the guy that who is standing next to her in that scene, whose name I don't know. They do the scene looking at me where they're like, God, he's really uh, hung over or whatever they say before I get out of the bed. And then they say cut. And the next thing I hear is him saying to Carrie Washington, isn't the cock sock supposed to cover the balls too? And I was like, so overwhelmed with having to like act naked in this scene and no, 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 that I had um, at some point lost the bits oh, that God. belonged in the, and so they were hanging yeah. out. I think that's really unfair, undue criticism. That uh, was not yeah. Okay. Well, how are you supposed to know the berry's supposed to go with the twigs? You don't, you, you know, that, that's not. I look, listen, I've never heard of a, cock sock before and i kind of knew that but it sounds like it was a, it was a mishap it sounds like a mishap or, just, or no. there was a lot of stuff on my mind there and i wasn't oh. i wasn't feeling covered up it, it's not like mm-hmm. the cock sock is covering what it's supposed to cover so it doesn't it, it it just didn't feel like um you know i was just doing my best there was some how was a stranger involved. in the bed next to you how was she doing was she that's a great question bless your heart i mean no idea 
I don't know. Where is she? Where is she? Where is she now? Yeah, she's probably listening. Hi. I used to love Scandal. And one day I was walking down the street and you know when you see someone and you just like think you know them, but you don't know where you're like, oh, I probably did like a workshop with them or I did this with them. You know, I know you're an actor. I know I know you from somewhere. I was like, hey, how are you? And he was like, hey, how's it going? We keep walking. I'm like, how do I know him? It was Joe Morton from Scandal. (laughs) It was, I was like, I don't know you. I've watched you on TV. You're Joe Morton. Anyway. I, have, I have that kind of career where people think they were, they met me at a wedding because I mm-hmm. was in their favorite show for one episode. So they spent <laughs> about an hour sort of interfacing with me. And so they are convinced that I just am friends yeah. with their cousin who got married like three years ago. Yeah. I kind of I love that. 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 That's a great, that's a great career. And not one to to scoff at because I'm always the one who was the backup choice. So like if she turns it down, <laughs> you can have it. That's right. <laughs> but Rabia, give Michael our third and final question. What is your relationship to true crime? I prepared for this one. Oh, yeah. good. Because I get nervous. <laughs> I get nervous about things called quick things. I get That's nervous. That's actually adorable. We have a we have a separate game that we're going to play. It wasn't for hard, our, was it? Wasn't hard. Wasn't hard, but it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard. But also I prepared for one of the three things. Okay. <laughs> True crime in my life is, well, the older I get, the more it's a part of my job is the thing that I mm. want to say first. Like I've played now in the last 10 years, I've played serial killers and prosecutors and nurses and accused rapists like that story. And um, so now I'm find myself dealing with Crime, not necessarily true all the time, but crime as part of my job. The OJ trial and the Waco thing that we're going to talk about were were at a perfect time in my life where I was starting to fall in love with acting and starting to fall in love with storytelling and journalism and reading all at the same time. And these two sort of media became all encompassing around a couple of things at that time in my life. And I have been interested in that ever since. I also, as an actor, we have to imagine being capable of things that normal people just can sort of file away as being separate from them. And I feel like I've occasionally had to entertain what it would take to act with so much anger that I ended someone's life. When I think about that, it's always related to stories of crime and law and order and things of that nature. When you're playing like a serial killer or something, like how do you prepare for that? I mean, do you do a lot of research into like the psyche or is it like based on a very specific person, real life person? And you're like, I just got to like, you know, figure out how this person moved and spoke and all that. Or are you trying to like get to the the inner demons here? I try to get to the inside of like, everybody thinks that they're acting in their own self-interest most of the time. And so I try Mm -hmm. to get to that and work from there out. So when I played a serial killer on this other ABC show called The Rookie, there was this guy who had this really intense plan for what he was going to get up to and he almost got away with it. And, And I tried to just sort of think through what my plan was and why I thought it was a good idea. And a lot of that was informed by the lines that I had when I was talking to one of my victims before I attempted to end her life. And so getting inside of that and sort of thinking about what am I like when I believe what I'm doing is sort of worth speaking about and advocating for. 
And then how can I transplant it over to this? Do you follow true crime like in the in the news and stuff? Are there like cases where you're like, oh, there's an update in the Delphi murder? Or, you know, I mean, like, is that something? I'm a big like depth over breadth guy. So I won't mm. I won't read there was a crime over here and a crime over here. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not on that app that like where you hear about the neighbor's car getting broken into. That's not my Citizen, thing. Citizen, yeah. yeah. But if there's like like cereal, for example, or mm-hmm. certainly I read four books about Waco when I made this show. And mm. so I get, I can go, I'll go deep for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested like in like crime rates. I'm not concerned about that. Right. And then you know, you know a lot more than us about Waco. <laughs> Robbie, so you know, I've recently moved. Yeah, yeah. And I am very popular in my neighborhood because I went on my Facebook group and I said, hi, I have an electric composter. Who wants no. compost? I make too much compost to use because I run my Lomi every other day. Tell them what the Lomi is. So Lomi is a countertop electric composter and it's small enough to keep in your kitchen, anywhere in your house. You put in your food scraps. The next morning, Ellen, as you know, yep. it's compost. It's crazy. It is just soil. Nobody in my town can believe it because basically I have less garbage and you wouldn't believe what you can throw in there. You can throw paper towels, eggshells, food. Every bit of food goes in my Lomi. So there is less waste. I'm throwing out less garbage. There's no food rotting, smelling up my kitchen. Thanks to Lomi, Mm. I take out the garbage like once every two weeks. My favorite part about this, and I am a composter, but I I had until the Lomi, this huge compost bin outside that well, it takes about a year. Or yeah. I don't know how long. It takes a very long time to turn that stuff into compost. But composting is so good for the environment. It's so good for our future. Yep. You turn your waste into nutrient-rich dirt. I absolutely mm-hmm. love it. Whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash solve the case and use the promo code solve the case to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash solve the case and use promo code solve the case at checkout. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode. All right. Did you know, Ellen, that in the last year, rates of anxiety and depression have doubled in the U.S.? Sadly, I did know that. I didn't know that. But what's even worse, it can take months to get a traditional therapy appointment. Well, Cerebral is here for anyone who is looking for help with their mental health, no matter where you are in the world. Cerebral helps people with anxiety, depression, stress, insomnia, and more. It's a 100% online mental health service that offers therapy and medication management. And Cerebral is one of the few services that provides medication management online through a licensed provider, if clinically indicated. So you can connect with your therapist on your own schedule. And isn't that important? They've got an app, Mm -hmm. the Cerebral Mobile app so you can schedule your sessions based on what's convenient for you. You don't have to wait for weeks to be seen. 80% see a provider within five days. It's less than a week. They're affordable. They're like a fraction of the cost of traditional therapy. Treatment options are available with or without insurance, which is really important. And Cerebral will help you find a provider that meets your needs because 50% of their clinicians self-identify as people of color. It's important to have the diversity so people can get the treatment they deserve with some people they feel comfortable with. Our listeners will receive an exclusive 50% off your first month of therapy by going to Cerebral.com slash solve the case. That's Cerebral.com slash solve the case for 50% off your first month of therapy. For quality mental health care that's accessible and affordable, join Cerebral today. I definitely want to talk about Koresh as a 
person like in this, but is that apparently he had prophesized well before the siege that this is how it's all going to end. Yeah. Like, like we are stockpiling these weapons because at some point the government's going to come at, after us. So did he, 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 did he deliberately create that reality so that the government come after him? you know, like stockpiling weapons, knowing at some point this is going to, he could not not have known that they're being watched. He had to know that the feds are watching him. They were, for my taste, from them, maybe they don't think of it this way, but from my perspective as a um, heathen, they were literalists with the Bible. Like they wanted to live by God's Mm -hmm. law as dictated in the Bible. And so there's a lot of doom there's a lot of doomsday. There's a lot of, oh, yeah. you know, awakening. He loved awakening. himself the Old Testament. Yeah. yeah. He loved the book of Revelations. Yeah. The book yeah. of Revelations will give you nightmares. So. Yeah. He was also, the, about the about the guns, briefly, there's a lot of evidence of them. He was a opportunist. And he took one of the wealthier members who financed a lot of their living expenses and guided that guy toward this opportunity that he saw where there was some kind of gun that was going to become illegal. And but was currently legal in Texas law. And so they went around to all of the gun shows, like buying Mm -hmm. them up, or it might be the reverse. But a lot of the arms dealing was not about defense of the compound so much as it was about an opportunity to make money. There was some sort of yeah. like specific thing that he had a, a plan for. Oh, interesting. They have proof of that, that they were engaging in that. Yeah, he was selling guns. And he makes a fair point in that interview that he did with that Australian TV show. He was like, this is Texas. Yeah. I can have as many guns as I want. 100%. Yeah. That's on you, Texas. That's on you. Yeah. I mean, that's not like my life. What they thought he was doing, which again, he might have been, but innocent until proven guilty, that he was manufacturing these guns to that were semi-automatic to be automatic, to be more deadly than they already were. I don't know how they got that intel. Do we know? Other than the the UPS driver that found the grenade? He says on the... um during some of the negotiation on the phone, he says, you know, like we haven't always been above board. And he's specifically mm-hmm. talking about the guns that are there. But right, he's, right. He, when he says it, he's saying it in the context of you guys came in here and started shooting at me and my families. And so we shot back. Didn't he also invite the ATF to come and like take a look at their arsenal at some point? Well, he he I mean, it was part of their business plan to sort of show it off and take it places. And they're. Road because show. of the the garm yeah the gun show, <laughs> one thing that that I'm reminded of when you say that Robbie is that he they weren't that well outfitted for the end of days like their plan was mm-hmm. never to have to get sieged besieged or invaded and then hold out they didn't they have stockpiling like water right. and food and they didn't have the bunkers and all that stuff. That's right. And they didn't have the gas masks. They didn't have gas masks for the kids. And most of them didn't fit the women. That's why the women and the kids perished first. Yeah, they were not ready for what happened, which, again, kind of like leads me back to what the fuck happened, because we found out in 1999 that they did lie to Janet Reno. They were like, no, 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 we don't have anything that could have exploded. No, Janet Reno, nothing. The FBI lied to Janet Reno. Yeah, the FBI. And then when it came down to it, they're like, well, maybe like we had like baby, baby explosives. Now that we think (laughs) back to it and Janet Reno's like, well, you guys fucked me. I have no integrity now. Because she ordered that and they were like, oh, yeah, maybe a little bit of this stuff could have incinerated that building. Because, again, it's two totally separate stories. Both are 
somewhat I mean, believable. Again, but they also knew echoes of weapons of mass destruction That's for right. me. I'm remembering how we were all sold that story too. But also, the gas that they used is was known to be flammable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Every, they yeah, knew yeah. it was like pyrotechnic gas yeah. canisters. And you know, the crazy thing to me about like that, is, and this is like basically on the day it all ended, uh, erupted in a big fireball is that the FBI kept broadcasting, called them first, and then they got hung up on, but kept broadcasting. We are going to place, we're going to place, I mean, like literally they use the word place as if they're leaving potted plants behind. We're going to place tear gas in the building. This is not an assault. We're going to place tear gas in the building. This is not an assault. That's an assault. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you think is going to happen to the children? Ellen, I'm like, but then what are, how are they supposed to draw them out? They've shut off the power. They shut off the water. Nothing's working. What are they supposed to do to get them to come out? But also, why do you so desperately need them to come out? That's the thing. Like, Like, it always goes back to this. Like, it's a, it's a ball of yarn, but the, it's falling apart in your hands all the time. We're still like the most horrible thing we can think that he is guilty of, or let's say that they're all guilty of, Mm -hmm. is not addressed by inserting poison gas through a wall using a tank into a home. Like the response right. is, is it's not too big for the situation. It's a different situation. It's responding to something yeah. that isn't present. Back then I was like, yeah, yeah. go get him, go get him. But now I'm like, okay, that might be the response to an armed militia group that has already, is carrying out attacks, carried out domestic acts of terror is like, you know what I mean? Like, like they are like, an actively violent group out to hurt people and have hurt people or something like that, That then maybe a response like this. But this is not even a law enforcement response. It's like a military response. They had military helicopters flying over. Where'd they come from? It also should be said that no matter all other practices aside, the Branch Davidians didn't bother anyone. No one even knew they were there. And a lot of them had, the men had like jobs in town, like the postman who tipped them off. And yeah. they went around to the neighbors and the neighbors were like, yeah, I I know they're there, but I never hear from them. They were quite insular. They liked to just be with each other, whatever it is they were doing. So it's kind of like, why were we jumping and thinking they were so dangerous when they never gave us any indication that they were? Everything else aside about the child abuse and all of that stuff. It's just very confusing. What about Koresh and Schneider being found with bullet holes? For those of you who don't know, David Koresh's right-hand man was Steve Schneider, and their autopsies would both show that they both had gunshots to the center of their forehead. And some people think that was done by the FBI, and some people think it was kind of like a murder-suicide pact. What are your thoughts on that? Again, like I paint with a broad brush. I like what, once the CS gas is coming in and all of these people that you think of as being your wives and children are dying in front mm-hmm. of you. And then it like, I cannot look at the circumstances that they were in and think to myself, there's no way I'd put a gun to my head. Like mm-hmm. to me, it's right. just, what's right. that Zen saying? Don't confuse the finger pointing at the moon with the moon. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I, I I can't say that I wouldn't want to just totally blow my head off in imagining that yeah. kind of eventuality. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a point at which the entire compound is in flames and, and we'll, we have to talk about 
how we think that happened. And according to some of the people who got out, they're like, they're, they're, because the FBI is like, or the tactical team's like, oh, now they're all going to come out. Now they're all going to stream out the 70, 80 people that are left. They're going to come running out of the building. People who got out were like, there was no way to get out because tanks, so much of the building had been destroyed. Like hallways were blocked. There was no, they were trapped. Well, as the ramming went on, the ones that were with me in the chapel, when the tank would come in the front and spray, we'd move as far back as we could. The tank had pushed a big hole in the wall. And so we kind of saying, well, you know, if we jump out this hole, will they shoot us? We didn't know. I think it was about noon. Somebody from upstairs yelled, the building's on fire. All of a sudden, all of this smoke came down this outside of the building. And when it got to the hole, it got sucked in and everything turned black. Couldn't see anything and I'm praying, saying, Lord, you better do something if you're gonna get us out of this. I'd have probably been burned to death except that people behind me further into the building started screaming. So I jumped up and I stumbled over all this uh, debris and uh, jumped out of the hole. And um, when I got out, I, I kind of looked back and the, the hole was just a mass of flames. And I thought, man, I'm the only one that got out. The skin was rolling off my hands. It wasn't blistering, it was just rolling off. There was a big, like a fireball went up at the, about in the center of the building. Then when I saw the fireball, I said, well, nobody's getting out of there now. And they went down. Like the women and children especially went yeah. down into this buried bus that they had because they were trying to like get away bunker, from yeah. the gas because it's poison. It's yeah. not just like uncomfortable. Yeah. It's not just going to burn your eyes. It's actually going to like poison your lungs. And my thing is like the idea that the FBI shot David Koresh in the middle of his eyes, how, how? In the middle of that fireball, would they have gotten in and done that? Like, that makes no sense to me. I just think, like, it just couldn't actually have happened. I do think this was, like, a murder-suicide situation at the end. And I think, you know, David Crash, he was 33 years old, and that's a significant number mm-hmm. because that is a, that, that's the age at which Jesus Christ was mm-hmm. sacrificed. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what not sacrificed. Uh, what's it called? Uh, Crucified? What is the word? Crucified. That's what I mean. Crucified. So I'm a Muslim. I do the best I can. She's like, I'm a Muslim. I don't know your freaking Bible bullshit. I was going to say, story checks out, Rabia. That's the most Muslim thing I've ever (laughs) witnessed firsthand. The funny thing is we believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's a whole different podcast. We'll talk about that later. I can't wait to come back for that one. (laughs) Yeah, we do. We actually do. So he really believed he was going to go out at 33 anyways. Like this was going to be his end. He says, we hear it in the recording. He says, I'm not afraid to die. We've been preparing for this. The eventuality that we are all going to perish at the hands of the government. And he's like, with this we know. But I don't think there was ever any plan for them to commit mass suicide, which takes us back to who started that fire. Because if not for that horrific fire at the end, maybe again, we would have had a different ending. But that made it impossible for these people to survive. And the government says, it wasn't us. We had we did not start the fire. Branch Davidians are like, absolutely not. We did not do it because we had no plans for suicide. There's no evidence that David Crush ever Get, you know, and this happened in other cults where the cult leader was like, I am instructing all my followers to drink the Kool-Aid. It's time to die. No evidence that David Crush ever did that. 
Oh, I am so excited this sponsor is back, Rabia. Especially because it's just not warming up around here. So the beautiful piece that I've gotten from this sponsor, I'm still using. It doesn't matter what the season is. You have to have those classic lifelong pieces in your wardrobe. And Jenny Kane is known for their super luxe cashmere sweaters. They also do cotton, which is glorious. Mm-hmm. But I have not taken off my cashmere sweater. But you know what? Summer is almost here. It feels so cool to me. It's almost here. They have just a beautiful summer staples to help us get dressed easier. And like you said, this is timeless stuff. You're going to keep it forever. They have perfected the art of simplicity. They focus on the comfort, the quality, and timeless design because you have to have those pieces. There are things that I have in my wardrobe that are well-made that are over 20 years old. That way you can curate your wardrobe and it never goes out of style. You know, they also have a gorgeous collection of home essentials now that you are furnishing your new home, Mm -hmm. Ellen. They've got timeless furniture pieces, throws, perfectly curated decor and candles, amazing candles. And they have a rewards program. You can receive up to 10% back with every purchase and you can join completely for free. I love that. Find your forever pieces at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code SOLVETHECASE at checkout. That's 15% off your first order, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code SOLVETHECASE. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. I love Lumi. I love Lumi too. And this is the season for Lumi. Yeah. I have to tell you, Rabia, Lumi is back and Every time I use it, I love the products more and more. It's the only deodorant I will travel with because I can travel with it. It's not an aerosol and you can use it everywhere in your body. It was started by an OBGYN, a woman by the name of Dr. Shannon Klingman, because she met all these women that were concerned with odor down below the belt. And so they did all of this clinical testing. And turns out, ladies, it's not the vagina to blame. It's the bacteria on the skin. That's how she created Lumi, a skin safe aluminum free deodorant that actually works and it works everywhere. It took this long to figure out you need deodorant in more than just your armpits. Thank you, Dr. Klingman. What about your underboobs, your thigh folds, your belly button, your butt crack, your vulva, your feet? You can put this stuff anywhere and it smells delicious. Try the toasted coconut. It's aluminum free, baking soda free, and paraben free and it's pH balanced. So yeah, you can use it down below. And it blocks the odor all day and controls it for up to 72 hours. Lumi started is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, a cream tube deodorant, and two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and it's free shipping. As a special offer for our listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code SOLVETHECASE at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use the code SOLVETHECASE. So then who started the fire? What do you think, Michael? You've done so much research on this case. I mean, I can't. I, I don't want to claim that I've done research on who started the fire. I'll just say that the most plausible explanation to me is that they cut their power. They were using torches that were open flames. And then the mm. structure that they were in was filled with flammable gas. So I would say that the fault lies with the authorities. It was accidentally yeah, burned. Yeah, but the, the authorities didn't necessarily try to burn them alive, but created the circumstances under which the people were burned alive. Yeah. And then refused to admit that they used that gas for a very right, long for time. A very long, or, yeah, yeah, or tried to deny that they understood what the gas was, which is not a good defense. We put this stuff, we don't right. know what it is, into this house yeah. with these kids. Didn't a prosecutor, which prosecutor was it, who pled guilty to withholding information about use of the gas, right? 
Bill Johnson. Anyhow. Yeah, Bill Johnson is a character that I play, and he pled his case. They made him the fall guy mm-hmm. for okay. taking, like, incorrect statements or something from law enforcement in the buildup to the trial or something like that. But he was oh. the whistleblower, so they they targeted him. There were so many fall guys. And it's interesting. I, I never put this together until now. The only person who absolutely took accountability was Janet Reno. I'm accountable. The buck stops with me and nobody ever accused me of running from a decision that I made based on the best information that I had. I don't do spin stuff and I'm not distancing anybody from anything. I'm telling you exactly what happened. Everyone was blamed. They they blame Robert Rodriguez. The ATF had Robert Rodriguez, who was undercover. He was an undercover agent. He was the one who found out that they knew that first raid was coming. And the reason they knew that first raid was coming is because there was one teeny tiny little group of press and it was a reporter and two cameramen. And that cameraman got lost and asked the postman for directions. And the postman was a member of the Branch Davidian. And he was like, uh, there's a raid coming. And then Robert... Mm. Rodriguez went out to the FBI and was like, they know you're coming. All of those dudes got blamed. They all got blamed. Like that reporter went into hiding for years, Mm. even though it was the cameraman that had asked for the directions. So there was so many people getting the opposite end of the finger point of all of this. And none of them was the FBI. (laughs) Can I just also point out, it, this was not like a situation where the FBI was like, we're just going to, or the ATF was going to knock on the door and say, hi, we're here to serve this warrant, which is what you normally do. We're going to serve this warrant, which allows us to search your property. And, you know, their original plan was to p- fucking bust through with like 80 agents. I mean, like from the get go, this was like a military operation to get a bunch of proven dangerous terrorists, not this, you know, it, the whole plan from the beginning was crazy to me. Why didn't Crazy. they knock on the door? Why didn't they know. just serve the warrant like you normally would? Because they thought they thought maybe because they thought we're going to fire it on. But like you haven't been at this point ever. The claim with all the, the no knock law enforcement uh, tactic is that you the element of surprise, you know, it's like. But the problem is that it goes wrong all the time. It's terrifying. People the grab the gun that they have legally or otherwise, and they defend themselves because they're terrified. They were sleeping five minutes before. But in this case, they didn't even do that because they did it in the middle of the day. It was like 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. the Green Berets who trained them were like, oh, no, don't do this. Like, do it at 2 a.m. Yeah. But again, just to get that one man yeah, who is going out for a jog, if you just wait till like 5 p.m., he's going out for his daily jog and you can get the him. The thing then. is, like, I'm not, I'm not someone who's like predisposed <laughs> to conspiracies in any way. But if I just take people at their word, if I just look at the affidavit, the probable cause uh, or the uh, search warrant, if I just read the search warrant, they're there for this guy and the guns. Mm-hmm. So get mm-hmm. the guy when he's not with his doomsday cult, get him and then walk in there and you know what I mean? At three in the morning yeah. and go through all their guns and make them, yeah. you know, uh, uh, stand against the wall or whatever. You know, you obviously have the firepower. Yeah. Once they had him, it would have been very easy to access the compound because, you know, it takes me back to David Koresh as a figure. Did you, do you guys think he was a nut job? What do you think? I mean, he comes across, yes, you're like, he likes to talk. He loves a mic. He wants to be heard. But he also comes across to me, at least in the stuff I've heard, as pretty, like, he doesn't seem unhinged. He, okay, although maybe you, you can argue it's unhinged to think you are the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But he comes across as pretty articulate. Oh, yeah. And kind of like... Most narcissists do. Most narcissists are 
Very brilliant. You know who was very brilliant? Don't say Hitler. Is Hitler. Once an episode. It always comes back to Hitler. But it's true. Hitler gained power and brainwashed people. Ellen, would you kill baby? Would you have killed baby Hitler? <laughs> Could no, you imagine? Would you? Because listen, there's a sniper here in this story that was like, I had a clear shot at David Koresh. I could have gotten him easily. No question. I didn't do it. Maybe I should have done it. Think of all of the narcissists that we know. Think of Donald Trump. There are people who are mes- stupid and not articulate. Right. But there are people that think he's hilarious. There are people that think he's charismatic. They, they're like, oh, he's one of us. He doesn't over talk the way Obama did. But that is a form of charisma. So was he unhinged? I mean, I think, again, I think he was looking for some kind of fame. It also should be mentioned that he did not do well in school and he was dyslexic. He was very, very smart, which, of course, I can't diagnose anybody, but he did seem neurodivergent and on some kind of spectrum because he memorized the New Testament by the time he was 14. And he memorized the old, memorized the Old Testament by the time he was 18. That's a special kind of brain. And then you add the element of he loved music. He went to Hollywood to be a rock star, kind of searching for something, then seducing a 60-something-year-old woman. I don't know. To take over the cult. Listen, and, you know, get that 60-something ass, you know. (laughs) <laughs> Michael's face. He's I'm like a frozen. I am frozen with where yeah. that went, Alan. There's nothing wrong. Listen, 60 something is not far from me. I'm, it's just over the horizon for me. And yeah, it'll be fine even then. Isn't every kind of unhinged, questionable man in history have some kind of genius level IQ? I don't know. My IQ isn't high enough to um, give you an answer to that. Yeah. For us to know. It's harder for us to contemplate him not being crazy. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm, it's more mm-hmm, uncomfortable mm-hmm. for me to entertain the possibility that I am capable of this if I just read the Bible and it captured me. You know, yes. when I think about crazy in the context of this case, if he lived and stood trial, could he have pled insanity? Absolutely no way. There is mm-hmm. no way. Oh, that's a great that point. This guy could have pled insanity. He is on the record for thousands of hours with lucid understanding of what is going on. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's a great point. And then I just go back to sexualizing children and that piece of your brain. I mean, we all sit here as parents of young girls. And when I think of that, if I can make that go away from my brain, I can see him as a fully formed human. Mm. But then when I add in that narrative, the sickness that engulfs everything. And I can't wrap my head around that. I can't wrap my head around him marrying a 12-year-old. We all have 12-year-olds. That's next level crazy to me. It is, but it's also very Old Testament-y. I mean, look, this kind of stuff happens in especially like very conservative religious communities at the time. They think the minute a girl gets her period, she is now a woman. And in the documentary, that woman said, that's part of our belief system that these are not underage girls. These are women who are ready for better or worse, right? I mean, I believe our laws should protect children in this situation. But for thousands of years, up until literally modern history, Girls have been getting married off the minute they get their period. Now you're, you know, the, the problem is the age has gotten lower and lower. The thing about Koresh that I thought was really interesting when I was listening to his, he made all these videos as he was like shot and dying, right? Like he, I mean, like, or, or whatever, getting infected and in his whole body. I don't know how many times he was shot before he actually died, but he had in the very first day gotten shot. So for those 51 days, he was like injured. 
but making these videos and sending them out into the world. And the thing he invoked over and over again, he invoked religion for sure, but he invoked American values over and over again. He is calling on the conscience of like other Americans as citizens saying that what's happening here is anti-American. What we are doing is within our rights as Americans. And I just think that there's so much truth to that. Like, you know, we started off talking about January 6th and it is, I'm sorry, as ugly as it is, marrying guns and violence and religion is about as American as it gets. Absolutely. I feel like he had whatever his religious zealousness, but it was so closely tied to his patriotism. And I don't think we talk about him as a patriot. We talked about when we were making Waco the Aftermath that this was the first time that these sort of fringe militia groups became, A, organized around specific uh, events. They all began to have a reference. April 19th, the fire, the Oklahoma City bombing Mm. happened on the two-year anniversary of the fire, the Mm. end of the siege. Tim McVeigh showed up. Timothy McVeigh was there outside of the compound. He also wrote fan mail to the defense team of the Branch Davidians Mm -hmm. in the trial. And in addition to that, this is when people in America started referring to themselves as patriots. Those kind of people started referring to themselves as patriots. Were they patriots because they were living by their own set of rules? Because the people that call themselves patriots now, I wonder where they would fall because this falls under their two talking points. That is protecting children and the right to bear arms. Yeah, just a pile of contradictions in all of exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, so are you going to go after the guy who's not a drag queen, who's assaulting children, but also he has his right to bear it, I would wonder where everyone 30 years later would fall defending or not defending this guy, because it seemed from the congressional hearings that everyone was against him. I would love for Donald Trump to be asked what he thinks about David Koresh. My guess is they're going to say there's no evidence he was abusing children. He married people who were legal age. And I think he would probably, I think he's probably a hero for these, this group of people. Wow. I don't know. No, I was deep in thought. That's what it looks like when I freeze completely, when I have to think I can't walk (laughs) and think at the same time. I was like, the screen. No, I was like, (laughs) I feel like he'd been a a hero. That's a great question. I don't know. I don't know about that because he's so, if you don't, you know, before I read any of this stuff, I, in my mind, he's like an easy reference for crazy and, 
you know, super bad news. Like he's uttered in the same breath as like Charles Manson way more than he is uh, thought of at least uh, a mainstream as a patriot. The only, because you know why? The way they would think about this is that this was all about gun rights. That search warrant was for guns. It's all about gun rights. This guy is exercising his gun rights in the state where he can buy and sell as many guns as he wants. And for that, that's like, I mean, it's religion. It's as fervent as religion, like those gun rights. And I think that it's, they're such a single issue group in so many ways. Everything else they would just ignore and be like, it was all about gun rights. I also think, like you said, we're also full of contradictions. When I look at Waco now, I'm like, government response was totally excessive. But when I think about January 6th, I'm like, where the fuck were the tanks to stop those people? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Robbie, you make a great point. That first raid was all about guns. And the yeah. way they manipulated Janet Reno into letting them do the second raid in April was by bringing in the kids. The kids, yeah. The kids was the linchpin in getting her to agree because they were like, we already did the thing with guns and you guys are doing all this psychological warfare. So they used the abuse of the children as the bait. But that wasn't the, the initial reason why they went in there. No. The whole thing mm -hmm. is just such a contradiction and it's just full of so many manipulative cooks. I think we are missing of the linchpin here. I feel like the linchpin is going to be some white dude who was like, fuck David Koresh, I'm going to get him. Like he was the Saddam Hussein to, 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 to our, you know, to George Bush. He like, I feel like there's some character who just had it out and said, I'm going to take him out in the fieriest mm. way possible. We have all this military equipment, like uh, tax dollars have paid for. We never get to use it. I'm going to bring out all my toys. I, there had to be one person who, and I don't know if it was that one guy, you know, um, who was the commander of the entire operation, if it was him, I would like to examine who that one person was who got to decide how much force they use and what were his motives? Like, what was your history here? Well, there's definitely a documented need for the ATF to prove its existence. It was facing budget cuts. It was facing mm -hmm. a major uh, sexual harassment and racial harassment scandal within the workplace, like other agents accusing each other. And their existence, you know, ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, mm -hmm. all that stuff is sort of taxed and litigated in a way that doesn't require its own police force. And so they, their plan, and this is documented, was to flex in this very impressive and specific way. And I think that they thought Koresh and the religionists, I think they actually believed their intelligence on some high level and believed that they could just go in there in broad daylight and walk them all out. And as they walked the kids out with the Happy Meals, they also would walk out pounds and pounds of grenades and illegal firearms. And they would sort of go, this is what we do. We come in with surgical precision and we blow people's minds and nobody gets hurt and the bad guys go away. And that's why they wanted the media there initially. And they leaked it to the media initially, which is why it fucked up the whole operation. It fucked up the whole thing. That poor one reporter post person guy, he only has talked about it like three or four times in public. That's in the original Waco series, not in the aftermath. Yeah. Yeah, that moment is in the first season, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who does John Leguizamo play, by the way? He plays Robert Rodriguez. He does. Yeah. yeah, I have it. Uh, yeah, he I loved. I am obsessed with John Leguizamo. Yeah, he's in Waco the Aftermath a little bit, too. He's incredible. So I guess the major question that we posed in the crash course, do we think that communication, peaceful communication could have changed the outcome of this? If we could go back and change one thing to make the end possibly be different, what would that be? 
Well, I'll tell you this. If they were black and brown people, if it was a black or brown leader, they would have been firebombed the first day and not on day 51. I can't help but on one hand, I'm like, it was a very excessive government response. On the other hand, I'm like, they had 51 days to negotiate. They not, I don't think the government would have done that. Like, I think about that with January 6th. If all those people attacking the Capitol were like black and brown people, the tanks would have been there. <laughs> yeah, that was what I said when when you were saying, where were the tanks on January 6th? I was like, they were in other metropolitan cities aimed at people of color who yes. were demonstrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. That. Black lives yes, matter, exactly. basically. Yeah. So I have a lot of conflicting kind of feelings about the whole thing. But I think I agree with Michael that if the negotiators had been left in place, let him write his goddamn manifesto and maybe not use the exploding gas, we would have had a different outcome. Yeah, I think if all of their intelligence and what we know as Monday morning quarterbacks is suggests that if they had knocked on the door, no one would have died. And since so many people died, horrible deaths, I might add. Mm-hmm. The simplest way for me to put it is grab him when he's in town or knock on his door. Just Mm -hmm. start there. Yeah. It did. It just seemed like after they asked Gary to step down, it just, again, I don't mean to sound like a man basher. I really, really don't. It just seems so testosterone driven. It just seems like, oh, I don't want want to talk. I want to fight. When you hear Gary talk, And I felt this with Michael Shannon as well. And it's not just because I have a talent crush on him, but you can kind of see that empathetic pain in his eyes. And you can see that when you see Gary talk and Byron, Byron Sage, for that matter. Again, I, I called them good guys because it just seemed like they were going about it the right way. And correct me if I'm wrong. I think David went on record as saying he liked talking to certain people more than the other. Like he was oh, yeah. like, where's mm-hmm. where's Gary? Get Gary back on the phone or something. I, I, there was a couple that he preferred to talk to before he went radio silent. Yep, absolutely. And which makes sense. I mean, the whole like rotating of staff, it doesn't make sense functionally in any other way than yeah. to make your target insecure. It doesn't actually, yeah. there's no other sort of like human thing that they're doing other than trying to make him insecure. Like how many negotiators is he going to bond right. with? Exactly. It just comes back to him wanting to be heard for whatever reason. I just don't think they expected it that they'd be negotiating for 51 days. <laughs> I don't think they expected that. They're like, we'll smoke them out before that. And I mean, that psychological warfare, they were like playing Tibetan chants and babies crying. Yeah, babies crying. And a phone ringing incessantly. Yeah. Yeah. But the negotiators didn't want that. They didn't want that. And they're like, this is something we would never, like you are basically ruining our chances of successful negotiation. But the tactical team, they're like, that's what we're going to do. Just the word negotiation. It's like, there's, so it's not clear that they were hostages. And second of all, hostage negotiator, there's no negotiation. What are they offering? Milk? Mm -hmm. They're offering to turn the power back on? Right. That's not a negotiation. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I think the evidence that the government knows that it fucked up and the FBI knows, even though there was a report completely absolving them, because that's how those things go, is the fact that we have not had another Waco. And I don't think we'll ever have another Waco. After Barack Obama was elected, 1,500 new militia groups popped up, white nationalist militia groups popped up. There are little armed groups everywhere. Like, you know, maybe they don't have this kind of cult following or this religious thing, but their religion is the Second Amendment. And the FBI is constantly kind of foiling plans quietly. Sometimes we hear it. A lot of times we don't, that these groups have in place to kill this congressperson and kidnap that governor and stuff like that. And they're not doing it like this anymore. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. One other thing I wanted to mention that is a little fuzzy in the research is that Koresh invited the ATF in to inspect his ammunition. 
that's not really talked about either. And they were like, I brought that up earlier, but I don't know. They what were the- they passed because again, if, if this goes along with the opportunity to find him out jogging and shopping and everything, the ATF took a pass. Yeah, they were like, no, we're good. He's like, you can come in and like look at this stuff. Oh, he and said it like, no. during the siege. No, it was it was like weeks before. Oh. When remember they moved in across the street. Yeah. So they had like them. He was spying, and he was like, "Oh, hey, random dudes in marked cars across the street. You must be the FBI watching mm-hmm. us. You guys aren't slick." Oh yeah. And they were like, "Do you guys want something with us?" Like there were just it, there were so many chances to make this go another way. Is there anything in history? In American history that we could equate to this, that we could equate to Waco other than January 6th, because January 6th is. I'm sure there is. It's just not popping to mind. But the thing that I think about with this is things like Breonna Taylor. Like what I think about is the law enforcement, Mm -hmm. like just the overt. They are openly planning to engage a person who's not expecting to be engaged Mm -hmm. and to neutralize them with no negative downside. Yeah, the lawlessness. They're yeah, like, we just, are we are the law. It's the ego. And the, the and ego the, around we can do whatever we want. Yeah, that's a great correlation. The ego that we can do, but also legally that we as a society tolerate that the quote unquote bad guys who are nothing like quote unquote us uh, deserve to be approached in this way that is completely outsized given the, I don't think that there's an amount of guns that could be in a building that requires the people who possess them to be approached in this way. I don't see the upside of that. I don't feel safer because I live in a country where the police are allowed to just walk into someone's home because they think there might be drugs inside of it. Mm -hmm. It also just feels fundamentally stupid. Like you're saying, Michael, like, what do you think that person, if I am deep asleep and suddenly boom, bang, people are crushed. I'm like, we're all going to die. I don't know who these people are. Like your immediate response is going to be like, how do you defend mm-hmm. yourself? Like that's the immediate of anybody. It seems so stupid. Like who, who thinks this is a good idea and is effective and is going to like actually give you. And you I want. also wonder about the police officers, you know, the Daniel Hernandez case in Pomona here, a SWAT officer lost his life. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the four yeah. ATF agents died in the first day of contact. Fifteen were mm-hmm. wounded on the first day of contact of this thing. What what do those guys think about these policies and these sort of tactics? Is someone so bad that all of these people's lives need to be endangered as well? I know you have a life, Michael, to get back to, and we're going to let you go. But I have one last question for you. I'm more concerned that my kids are going to come in here and just be like, make me lunch, make me lunch, grilled cheese, grilled cheese. <laughs> Our kids pop on all the time. I want grilled cheese. No, my last question. And this is in response to what you just said. What law enforcement will say is even if we come in guns blazing, you do not have the Mm -hmm. right to shoot back. When you shoot back, you are murdering Mm -hmm. officers. That's murder. What do you think about that? Do you think the Branch Davidians, the Brianna, do you think people have the right to shoot back? Yes. Or should? For me, it's like a human species question. It's like, do we as a species Mm -hmm. want to engage each other? Because I think on a, on a species level, if you engage in conflict with someone and you expect them to submit immediately with no questions asked. You just, on an animal level, that cannot be a policy. Human behavior is not like that. Just doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, if you push, somebody's going to push back and they might push back in a myriad of ways. So I don't think that a society that is developed as we claim to be and we like to think is can have a policy that in any way reflects anything other than when people push, they push back and lives are at stake. Mm -hmm. And I think if our policies reflect that more accurately, everyone will be safer. Yeah. It's a tough question because 
these patriots, I'm using air quotes, believe very much in the right to self-defense, even mm-hmm. against their own government. And so that's it's a it's a real tough line to mm-hmm. walk. I have one question before we go. You and Michael Shannon, who's the big spoon and who's the little spoon? <laughs> Just be honest. Just be honest for once in your life, for Michael. Once in my, I know. I'll drop the charade. I'll drop the charade. <laughs> If Michael Shannon asked me to do anything, I would do it first and then figure it out later. Right, I would say right. yes and figure it out. Let me just put it that way. That's a great. He's, that makes you the little one. That's a great attitude. He's taller. He's bigger than me. He's a better actor. He's older. Every, the power dynamic is You're an amazing is what actor. It is. This is why we love doing this podcast. It's just a conversation and just yeah. like seeing like where it takes us. And I mean it. It's so interesting once you chose this case because I was like, I know that case. No, I really, really don't. And I, yeah. I need to. I started Aftermath and I need to finish it. But before we go, I know you hate being put on the spot. So I'm going to put you on the spot with 10 fast fire questions oh and you have to <laughs> answer them as fast as you can. Okay. Ready. What is your favorite season? Summer. What's your favorite animal? Dog. Too slow. Oh, that was the worst. Dog. Favorite food. <laughs> oh, spaghetti and meatballs. Who's your hero? Ooh. Who's my hero? This is, this is my nightmare, Ellen. This is this my is fast fire, fast fire phase. That's how we fast reward fire. our guests with nightmares. Who is my hero? Next beep. Oh, it's too late. You lost failed. Your What's your favorite breakfast food? Waffles. What's your best non-curse word, one word insult? <laughs> Say it. Cocksock. Great. What, <laughs> what's your favorite movie genre? Uh, legal. Ooh. What's your favorite dessert? Ooh, uh, chocolate chip cookie. Oh. Okay, and who, which, which one of your kids is your favorite? Don't lie, there's a favorite. <laughs> Who's your favorite? Just say it right now. I have a favorite, but I'm not going to say. I haven't. It's always the firstborn. We know. I acknowledge. No, it, it's the baby. It's the little girl who's obsessed with him. Because it changes she, every day. It changes every day. Rob, see, this is what's great about only having one. I always, I never have to be weird about that question. Yassine is your favorite. Yassine's my favorite son. Son is no. my favorite firstborn. Shut up. Stop. He's my favorite son. <laughs> No, my, my first one's baby. Thank you so much, Michael. Can you just like brag about yourself for a minute so that our listeners can find you and see what you're doing and follow Please follow you Michael on-, on Instagram. We got to help him out. Yeah, this. follow Seriously. me on Instagram. I, I literally, <laughs> if you message me, I'll respond because I don't know what else is going it. on. I don't Wait, know. I'm in, I have to do that. I'm going to message you today. You're going to really, really regret Ellen, he this. needs help on Instagram. She will help gonna... you build your following on Instagram and your content. But what is your Instagram so that Robbie and I can follow you? What's your Instagram? My name, Michael Cassidy Actor, at Michael Cassidy Actor. Okay. And then what's coming up for you? <laughs> Ellen is like, all right, that's the first thing we'll change. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, I'm, I'm <laughs> right now I'm like logging into his Instagram. I already guessed it. His password is password. There we go. I'm in. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Yeah. <laughs> Cock sock. Um, <laughs> we're going to have to bleep out every time we say cock. Oh, really? Michael, what, what's your next project coming up? What what can we see you in coming up? Yes, so I'm in the Waco the Aftermath, which at the time of recording this is, I think, ending, finaleing. I'm also mm-hmm. recurring on Fatal Attraction, which is the limited series on Paramount Plus as well. Mm-hmm. That's what I have uh, out right now. Amazing. Michael, you have been, you are so smart, insightful, funny. I have loved, loved recording this episode. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Yeah. Such a fan. We are so glad that our, yeah, come back anytime and good luck with everything. I can't wait to finish the show. When I finish Aftermath, I'll message you. 
and give you notes. Okay, great. Thank you. <laughs> the directors wouldn't give me anything, so I'd really appreciate some thoughts of any kind. I felt like I was just out there alone. No, and you're in one of my favorite movies, Argo. Yeah, I snuck into Ooh. that. I there's not. It's, it would be hard to have a smaller role in that film. <laughs> well, you have a you have a big role here, and you have a very big place in our heart. And you are yes. always welcome if you ever want to come back and talk true crime with us. You Here's have an a open pro tip. Make that grilled cheese, sand- make those sandwiches and put them on Instagram. See, people love that shit. I'm, I don't even get me started. I'm like, who cares? Like, I get that I, people- I care. I will like and comment on the grilled cheese sandwich. That's what people need. People need it. Do it. We'll love it. People love it. Okay. Thank you so much, Thank you. Michael Thank you. Cassidy. Thank you. We hope Thank you for your show. You. I love your show. Thank you for oh, your show. Oh, awesome. Thank we you so much. Too. And All we right, hope to see you soon. Thanks, okay. Michael. Bye. 